My name is Bob Siebold. I'm 62 years old. Today is June 21st, 2021. I am recording from Toledo, Ohio, and I'm speaking with my brother, Ron. My name is Ron Siebold. I'm 64 years old. Today is June 21st, 2021. I'm recording from Austin, Texas, and I'm speaking with my brother, Bob Siebold. Let's go back to 1976, Ron. We both joined the service in that year, but for very different reasons. Tell me about what, why was it that you joined the service? Why was it that you joined the Army? I joined the Army in order to pay for college. <laughs> I, had a, a, I had a situation with my dad, like all young men do, where I didn't want him to boss me around, and he didn't want to follow my lead, and I said, I've got to have my own college money. I'd gotten to the point where I didn't have a scholarship and I'd been out of high school for about a year, took a little bit of college and sort of ran dry on the money and sort of ran dry on the motivation to keep going. So um, I worked for a year, motorcycle parts assistant manager, um, something completely unrelated to anything I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go to college. So the GI Bill was still in force in 1976, and I knew there was an opportunity there. So um, I figured, what have I got to lose but three years of my freedom? And at the time, the way that military service was being offered to uh, young people was, this is a job that you can do. It just happens to be in the military. You'll learn a trade. So... Um, I didn't really go in to learn a trade. I went in in order to be able to get college money. What was your circumstance, Bob? Well, it was similar, but it was different. Now, you're uh, 15 months older than me, but you had graduated in 1974, two years before I did in 1976. I was 17 years old. I was 17 years old. And uh, I was in the same situation you were in. I wanted to go to college, and I didn't have the money to do it. Um, and I had looked into different options. We were living in, in Toledo here, and I'd actually looked into moving to California to live with our older brother, John, and to establish residency there for six months and be able to go to college for free, because back in 1976, state college out in California was, was free. And so that was on my mind. And then one day, as often happens with uh, kids, um, the Army recruiter came to the school and talked about opportunities, talked about getting money for, for college. And uh, I was interested because it, it was a different option that wouldn't necessarily mean moving out to California. I was hopeful that I would be able to get training in, uh, in uh, photography because that's what I was, that was my passion and still is. Uh, so I went to the testing center with no intention necessarily of signing up. It was just, well, let's just go take the test and you can have a simple physical and, and we'll see whether you're, you know, suited for this. But as things happen, you get to that, to that point and you're kind of moving along and they're like, uh, okay, we found a job for you. We found a place for you. What do you say? And I'm like, okay, I guess I raised my right hand and the rest is history. Now, the interesting thing about this story though, is that I did this in March of, 1976. You did it after I did, but only a month later. What was that all about? Was there 
<laughs> was there some like sibling rivalry or something like, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too. Wasn't there always sibling rivalry? <laughs> yes. Wasn't there always sibling rivalry? Uh, yeah. So you were, uh, you were out in front on making the decision on this. And I was kind of on the bubble, but it made it a very real thing, I think, when you went out and did your bit, went out and uh, actually got your um, Cleveland time, is what I call it, where we went in and uh, had to measure our eyes and make sure that we were in one piece and good enough to be in the military. And <clears throat> for me, I knew I wanted to go when I left. And I don't have a really clear memory of even coming back from that Cleveland uh, physical. I remember going from there to South Carolina in order to hit boot camp. Mm. Um, I mean, it's all kind of fuzzy right now, but, um, and I knew I wanted to get in. And there was a snag because I got in there and I wasn't wearing my glasses because, you know. <laughs> being kind of a vain guy. I didn't think I looked very good in them. Probably didn't get a really attractive pair. And because I wasn't wearing my glasses, I didn't pass my color acuity test. Not like I was colorblind, but I couldn't distinguish the colors well enough to be able to pass the test. Probably would have done a lot better with the glasses on. So my, uh, my options were immediately limited uh, because I thought I was going to go in for a uh, electronics training because that was dad's trade so uh, i mean what wound up happening is uh i got shuffled into a lot of things that were sort of like you know job training for electronics and eventually what happened there is uh they said well we got one for you it's called radio teletype operator and i'm like i don't even know what that is but <laughs> it's got the word radio in it so it must be okay um, and so I've, I've gone from wanting to get in in order to be able to get college money, and that's still on the table, to now, all right, we have this limited selection of jobs that you seem to be interested in. Where do you want to go? So I actually got a chance to pick, and it, it sorted out to me so that there were really two places where I could go. Um, Fort Ord, California which it kind of sounds like maybe the California thing would have been really good for you. There must've been a vibe there or something. Yes. The yes, there was a yeah. California vibe in the family <laughs> or, or the other place was Fort hood. And I knew nothing about Fort hood and Texas wasn't even on my radar, but Fort hood had the one advantage that I chose. That this is like total peacetime army stuff. There's two community theaters on the base at Fort hood. And me, out of my mind, I'm going, I think I want to be an actor. I'd at least like to get cast a lot. And, and you, had, you, you had done that at home before you joined. You were in, you were in productions and you were with uh, acting groups. So that was something that you knew you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the Fort Hood option didn't even include Austin in my mind, where I'm living now. I just thought I was going down to the post and I would serve here and... I had no concept of everything else that was going to happen in the experience. I just was pretty sure because I was in a peacetime army, somebody wasn't going to be trying to shoot me. Um, you know, That's funny, too, because when I think about it now, never, ever in my 17-year-old mind did it ever cross it to think that, you know what? You might get killed. 
or you 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 might have to kill someone because it was sold to me and I and I bought it completely as job training and an opportunity to get college. Uh, that was it. So the whole idea of being a soldier in the in the more traditional sense of it, it wasn't even there. I mean, I wanted to go into into photography. And when I signed up, when I went to that same room that you go to where they sit down and figure out where they can send you and what the what, what the job is, they told us, well, you can pick one of two things. You can pick a job or you can pick a place. And we'll try very hard to guarantee whatever you pick. But if you pick the job, you'll go wherever we send you. So I thought, okay, I want to do photography. Check it out. So this guy sits down at this ancient computer terminal <laughs> and he's, he's, he's sitting there typing away and I'm, he's in like a little, a little office carol kind of thing. And I'm just outside and he's there for like three or four minutes and he stands up and he says, the only thing I can give you is photography in Hawaii. <laughs> and I, I paused for about, I, 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 I gave it a couple of beats and I said, I'll take it. <laughs> Didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, so so that worked out great for me, me who was going to California. Huh, let's just add another 2,500 miles to that and go out to the middle of the ocean and, and be 5,000 miles away from home. Uh, so that was interesting, but I really wanted that job. And I knew it didn't matter to me where I, where I went. And it was just complete icing on the cake that I got Hawaii. Um, and you were in Texas. So it's, I mean, completely different in terms of experiences, which is the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, my experience in the service past boot camp was very different from yours in that my experience was kind of a job. It, I worked in a, in a photo lab, many civilians working with me. There were maybe three or four uniformed military people there um, it was very much like a nine to five job. And I, I, I didn't do a lot of soldiering with like a, you know, quote soldiering uh, for my whole time there. But you did a whole lot more of that in your job, in your military service at the same time um, in Texas, right? Yeah. So I chose a place instead of a job. And I, it isn't like I had zero opportunity to know what the job was going to be. I didn't show up and they go, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to be out on kitchen patrol the entire three years, something like that. But by picking my place, it meant that I was going to show up and muster into mechanized cavalry. So uh, this is a pretty military kind of assignment. And I don't remember seeing anybody who was a civilian on base except for the people who were working in the px um everybody in my encounter was you know an officer a warrant officer a non-com or me i was enlisted so um immediately i had a lot more of a military experience than i expected didn't really rattle me i you know actually sort of took a little bit of pride in knowing that i was supposed to act and be like a soldier but the every day of that didn't turn out to be something that really engaged me <laughs> in a career way. Um, mechanized cavalry means that you're paying attention to the vehicles all the time and the equipment. And a lot of what we did was down in a motor pool where our mechanized half tracks um, 
had radio equipment inside. And so my office was a lot of times stepping into an armored personnel carrier and trying to make the uh, Vietnam era and older equipment actually work. Um, it was always a miracle when it did. Um, sometimes I think of it like the cone of silence <laughs> on Get Smart. <laughs> Max, that never works. Uh, but yeah, um, it became a lot more military for me almost as soon as I got there because within about four months or so, they told us we were going to be rotating to Germany to get deployed. And I'm like, this was absolutely not what I signed up for. I'd been cast in a few plays. Woohoo. <laughs> I had a girlfriend. It's, I mean, and I had to put all of that on hold. So um, it was, you know, not exactly what I expected, but you know, Hey, we're, I'm 19 and I can shoulder an, an adventure for a while. Now, when you were deployed to Germany in the army, did that idea of being a soldier of maybe having to pick up a gun and go after an enemy or, 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 or have to face them, did that come to your mind more so when you were that close to the Iron Curtain? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened is they positioned us in an army base called Vilflicken, which is up in the German mountains, not far from the Fulda Gap. And uh, there was also West German um, military there on the same base. And they had a very different life because not only did they drink beer at lunch, <laughs> they also carried hot weapons. So they were walking around with M16s that had clips in them. And I mean, ours all had the little red metal caps on the top so that you knew that they weren't anything but there to, uh, you know, I don't know, show the, show the army that you could carry the weapon. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we'd take them off for target practice, but there wasn't a lot of that either. But I think there was something about being around another army and being in a spot where we were doing something really different. Because what we did when we got into uh, Germany is we wound up working as um, uh, communications clerks for um, secret transmissions. So we had code books and this was all new and it felt a lot more military. And what can I say? Again, something else that I didn't sign up for. Yeah, it was it was uh, different for us because uh, where I was stationed, it, as I said, it was probably the polar opposite. Um, there was no threat. I mean, we we were in Hawaii, you know, Pearl Harbor had happened 35 years before that. So that's probably the last time anybody on that island ever felt threatened. Uh, and I was in a in a place, too, where there was a lot of military, but it was all American military. There was Navy, there was Air Force, there was uh, Marines, there was Army. There were a lot of service people who were who were serving there. I was in um, I was on uh, Oahu and I was attached to the 25th Infantry Division, to the uh, 125th Signal Battalion. And we alone were probably 10,000 soldiers, probably. And I want to say there's probably or probably 200,000 military on the island amongst all the different services, I would guess. But even with that, even knowing, seeing all the various facilities, Navy, Air Force, whatever, I was so distant from that because what I was doing basically was um, uh, taking pictures for officials 
we used to call them grips and grins. That's where if someone gets a gets an award or gets some kind of promotion and they walk up to like the uh, the commanding officer, whoever it was, and they shake hands and they smile and we take a picture. And that's called grips and grins. And occasionally we would go out and venture out beyond that. I do remember one time, uh, this was later in my time there, we got assigned to cover for the army a Hollywood production that was happening at Schofield Barracks, which was which is the headquarters or was the headquarters of the 25th Infantry Division. And it was uh, a TV movie of the week starring Angie Dickinson and Dennis Weaver. And it was called Pearl. Of course it was called Pearl because it was set, you know, back in 1941. And uh, uh, it was so strange because here are all these Hollywood people on base in in real places on the base pretending to be soldiers, well, of course, 30 years ago. And here I am in like real time pretending to be a soldier too, because what I'm doing is not a whole lot different from what the, what the, what the staff photographer is doing, who's standing off taking pictures, you know, whenever something's happening. So there was a real disconnect there. I can't say it bothered me because it didn't, but boy, you know, when I, when I, we even talked about this. When, when, when somebody says, thank you for your service, I realize my service was very different from other people who were in at that time. And of course, tremendously different from someone who was maybe in five or 10 years before us or someone who was in 25 years after us. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of confusing sometimes to think about that because I absolutely consider myself a veteran, but a lot of times I don't think about it in those terms because we were in the peacetime army. We were there to, to uh, earn some money and get some college dough, GI Bill. So it's very different from what people experience now or have experienced for about the past 20 years. So did you come to that realization almost as soon as you got out? No, um, I got out in 1979, just like you did. And I went right back to what I was. It, it was almost as if I took a three year detour, 5,000 miles away to, I took a three year detour, 5,000 miles away to do a job that I, that I wanted to do and was able to earn some college money, came right back home and went to college. So the whole idea of being a veteran it didn't really even cross my mind. To be honest with you, the first time that I thought about the whole idea of serving is when it's Veterans Day and you're someplace and they say, could we have all the veterans stand up? And I do with everybody else and I see other people and some of them, I'm, I'm guessing these guys and these, and these women saw some action, some real action. So sometimes I'm kind of thinking, God, am I the same veteran that they are. And this is all something that's, that's, that's come upon me maybe in the last five years or so. Um, but yeah, it, it is different for me. How is it for you being a veteran? Well, one of the things that I remember after mustering out was that there wasn't a lot of this. Thank you for your service. We were still in the aftermath of Vietnam, super unpopular war. There were guys in my unit who had served in country. Maybe they were on the 
Maybe they were back in the rear and maybe they were on a combat line. But <clears throat> coming back from all of that, it was actually something that I didn't feel like I needed to talk about. I didn't say it with pride. I was glad that the money was there. But by the time I was done with my three years, I was really done. Um, I had a different experience than you, but I think a lot of it was the way that I approached it. The longer I was in the service, the less I felt like I should be in the service. And I mean, they talk to you eventually at the end of a volunteer term about whether you're going to re-up or not. And it was just ridiculous. I wouldn't consider it at all. So this whole moment of people standing up in a place while they honor everybody, I think might have started happening after Desert Storm. I don't remember much of it before then. And, you know, I really didn't treasure the whole thing as an experience that would change me for the better for the rest of my life until I began to see the opportunities that it gave to me. So we go down to San Antonio Spurs games, and it's a military town between Brook Army Medical, Fort Sam, um, and three uh, air bases down there. There's a lot of people who live in the San Antonio area. And there's a couple of times a year where they have military nights. And I've come to take this as a point of pride for having served. I even went up to the Fort Hood um, First Cav uh, uh, Museum. And they have a gift shop and you can go ahead and pick stuff up there that, you know, announces to the world that, you know, I mean, I was in this unit. I bought it. I bought a Fort Cav T-shirt, a, 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 a first Cav. I bought a first Cav T-shirt. I bought a first Cav hat. I still had hung on to some of my pins. So maybe it seems like it was a like, like it was a costume. But to me, it represented what I did. And the first time that they had one of these nights. I was wearing my shirt around town before the actual game and people would stop and thank you for your service. And I was proud and I never confused what I did with what many people did. I wasn't really under the threat of being killed or disfigured or maimed. I didn't come back with PTSD. I know the difference, but I think about it and I say, you did roll the dice you did run that risk as remote as it might've seemed, it could have happened to you. And one of the things I like to say is this is the only job that I've ever held where if I didn't want to do it and I wanted to quit, the next option was prison. <laughs> they don't, they don't take kindly to that. They really don't No. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure they'd be glad to muster me out with a, you know, a dishonorable discharge. But for me, that, the shame of that would have been just, it, for me, the shame of that would have been just too profound. So I served out my term. I didn't think of it as being something to be proud of. I thought of myself as being lucky because for me, it was an, it was an army of readiness and it was an army of opportunity. And I was grateful that I had served enough time to be able to get the benefits that I went after. I remember we were stationed in Germany and we were doing a, something that would be a typical day for us would be to be grooming the grounds. So we swung sling blades. And I remember Sergeant Stone saying to me, 
Just think every time you swing that sling blade, boy, you're getting another step closer to that college that you want. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I know I don't have as much to be proud of as people who are in combat. I was in a combat unit, but we never deployed in a combat situation. When we did go over to Germany, though, we were in a hot zone. And there was one uh, field maneuver that we did where we were out there for several days. And we knew there were East Germans just on the other side of the gap. Somebody said there was a rumor that one of the German crews had loaded an oversized can of floor cleaner, kind of like a comet sort of thing, jammed it into some uh, mortar and sent it over the line into <laughs> the, the allied, the, uh, the, uh, uh, send it over the line into the NATO troops. And whoever was telling us that story said, yeah, and it hit some guy right in the chest. <laughs> and the odds of that actually happening, of course, are kind of slim. But for me, it represented, yeah, you know, if anything went up, if something went awry, they would be shooting exactly at you. And the other thing that I remember out of it was I was in a communications unit. When we went out to the field, we had enormous whip antennas on the back of that armored personnel carrier. And when you'd get one of the older non-coms drinking, you'd go, yeah, you guys out there in Camo, they're going to get you first because they know right where you're at. <laughs> So, you know, part of that was, oh, shit. And part of it was, well, I guess I am a real soldier, aren't I? The only real soldiering that I did was one time, one time, I had to go out into the field because ours was an office job. We had a mobile unit, which was a mobile photo lab that was on the back of a, of a deuce and a half, a two and a half ton, ton truck, just like every every soldier has some kind of a mobile unit that they are attached to. Well, we were going to do maneuvers and it was probably a week's worth of them. We didn't leave the island. We were on, on some base somewhere within Oahu and uh, my time came up. And so I had to pull this duty, which was really simple. All we had to do literally was drive the truck out, park it where they told us to park it, set up, spend the weekend there, get back in the truck and go back to base. There was nothing that we were doing. We weren't taking pictures or we weren't doing anything. It was just one of these things like the whole unit has to go out there. So you'll have to go too. Uh, okay, great. No problem. So I drive out and I set it up. I set up the truck and I, I, I find a spot nearby where I can set up my little army pup tent and I do my little camping experience where, you know, you're like eating outdoors and bivouac, as they would call it. And, you know, all, all the things that, that like real soldiers do, but still just kind of going through the motions until the second night that I was there. And I had set up this little pup tent, like I said, and it started to rain. And most veterans, most soldiers will tell you an army pup tent gives you zero protection if it's if it's raining, there's just, I mean, it, it, it isn't going to help you. Well, it was worse than that because not only was the rain coming down and, and kind of coming through the canvas of it, it was coming up on me too because where I had picked to set up was probably a little too low in terms of where the water would be going <laughs> if, it, if it turned out to be raining. So anyway, so long story short, I'm not happy. 
And they had told us one rule. The one rule was you cannot sleep in the van. You have to sleep outside. Can't go in there. So I'm laying there in my sleeping bag, which is soggy by this point. And I'm trying to stay warm and I can't, I'm wet, I'm cold, I'm angry. And I just said, screw it. Got out of the pup tent, went up, unlocked the van and laid down in like the front seat <laughs> and tried to get some sleep. But that was my only experience in my entire three years of service where I did anything like a soldier. And it makes a great story now, but it's, it's, it's so different from the similar experiences that you and I had same time in uh, the same army, but very different. And like, just like you said, um, I came back and I picked up life exactly where I had left off three years earlier. In your case, though, your army service truly changed your life, right? I never left Texas. And I never figured that that was my plan when I was going down. I didn't really have a clear idea where I wanted to go to college. I was halfway through the army and I started to believe that I really wanted to go to school to become an actor. So I started looking at places like New York or um, Los Angeles or Chicago, someplace like that. But while I was down here, I fell in with an amateur theater group. Well, small theater group. And, uh, there's a pretty good drama school here in Austin. And many of those people who were in those shows that I were in were also in the drama school. And I started to visualize the concept here where I wouldn't have to leave Austin. Uh, and I enrolled in the University of Texas after I mustered out and got into the drama school right away. Dug in there for about a year. That didn't work out. I wound up making a transfer into a really good journalism school at the same university. So I was kind of averse to change. It's, you know, I mean, you can go back to what you knew and be averse to change. But for me, it was more like, I don't want to leave this place because I'll be honest, I thought it was cooler than the town that I grew up in. So I didn't have enough of an appreciation for my home roots to go back and savor what was there. This was something new. So I wanted to stay in this place called Austin, which is nothing like it is now back then in 1979 and 1980. But it's 44 years on now since I mustered out. Well, actually, since I actually, it's 44 years on since I entered Texas for the first time to be in Fort Hood. And I'm probably leaving in a few years, but I've had a full adult lifetime here. I'm married a couple of times, four grandchildren, two or three houses, um, started a career, started another career down here. The option that it wouldn't be in Texas really wasn't on my radar, but um, I, I guess I'm not very good at seeing what's not on my radar. Um, yeah, I mean, it changed my life in that I became a Texan for far more of my lifespan than any time I've spent anywhere else. Um, and it was a good thing I was in Texas because it meant that I could go to college at a ridiculous rate, $216 a semester, and books were under 50. And of course, when I tell that to, you know, my kids, our grandkids, they're just, you know, I mean, they can't believe it. They were like, what planet were you on? <laughs> 
So, I mean, there was that. Um, there was also using the GI Bill for its home loan benefits. So I bought a house and I bought a house on the GI Bill. And then finally, about five or six years ago, I got into the VA medical system. And they have a really, really extensive clinic here in Austin. So I felt like I've kind of used a lot of the full gamut of what I uh, had earned as benefits since then over the 44 years. Now, you know, could I use those GI Bill benefits for another house in another place? Absolutely. Might I have gone someplace where they had as good a clinic? Perhaps. But yeah, set my course on living in Texas. What was it like for you, though, coming back? to the spot in your life that you had left. Did you feel changed in some way? I really didn't. And that's what's what's strange about it. To me, it was like he went away for three years and then he came back and jumped right back into the track. I mean, had I not gone into the army, I would have done the exact same thing in the fall of 1976 that I did in the fall of 1979, which is go to the local university. And the only difference was somebody else was paying the bills. Uh, it was the, the, the GI bill. So that's, what's different about it. I, I pretty much picked up right where I left off, had this life that I had, uh, that I had planned to do, did not get into, into photography, but while I was in the service, um, uh, I was interested in following in our father's footsteps. And our dad was a television engineer. <laughs> our dad was a television engineer helped to build one of the first television stations that was in Toledo, Ohio in 1948. And he, he passed away in 1978. And I thought, well, I'm going to follow in dad's footsteps. So there was this uh, outfit called the Columbia School of Broadcasting, which if you're old enough to like remember that, that name, you're, you are pretty old. But anyway, they would train you to be a audio engineer. And I thought, this sounds good. Okay, audio engineer. It's kind of like dad's thing. So I go down to sign up. Oh, they also took took GI Bill too. So you could you could use some of your GI money for that, which was great. I go in and they say, "Well, we only do this do this producer training twice a year, so we're not doing it again for another maybe six or seven months. But we have this broadcasting program that we that we do, which can train you to be a like DJ or something. And again, in my life." just the, the like strange coincidences of what jobs get offered to me. I said, yeah, maybe I'd like to do that. And I took that training. I came home. I went to college. I uh, got into the campus radio station. Uh, five months later, I got my first professional job, part-time work, a, a board operator, as they used to call them. And then uh, a year after that, I got promoted to work in the newsroom and went from part-time to full-time news and did that for 17 years and then got out of that, worked in television for maybe a year or so as a, as a assignment editor. And that didn't suit me too much. So I then left that, did a really short stint as a internet news editor. And this is, this is 1997, mind you. So there's not a whole lot to edit. <laughs> this was back in the day when, uh, when, uh, the local newspaper, which is a pretty good sized newspaper, when when their web operator went on vacation, they just shut down the website. <laughs> they didn't change anything. So anyway, I did that. And then 
got another job, which I'm still in now, I've been doing for over 20 years. I'm a marketing consultant and also a voiceover artist for a local marketing company. And that suited me perfectly because the, the stuff that I learned in radio, you know, writing short and quick and writing for the ear was, 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 was perfect for this because a lot of what we did was on hold marketing. So in a way, opportunity came up as it had come up, but the service was not the opportunity. The, 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 the service was the means to the end, which was getting into the university, getting that first radio job, getting the first paid job and on and on and on. But it was all here. Would I have done it that way? Had I not joined the army? Who knows? But it was definitely a catalyst to point me in that, in that direction that I ended up going in for, what's it been now, uh, 40 some years now uh, in, uh, in uh, communications. Uh, but yes, and, and I can thank the army for that because they paid for it. And just as you said, you know, there are benefits there. There are opportunities that we, that we got that we, that we wouldn't have had. So for me, that's the, that's the takeaway from it is the opportunity it gave me. Well, recently what I've come to understand is that the army taught me things that didn't really have to do with a particular job. Um, it's got a lot to do with staying on task bearing down on something you don't want to do but is necessary just the same and to some degree maybe even learning how to encourage other people to try and do better to lift them up i mean it gave me a career as an editor where i sort of brought on what might have been called new recruits a lot of them were in their first journalism job and you have to try and help develop them get them to believe in their skills and you know at the same time Tell them when it's not up to snuff. And staying in the traces is sometimes what I call it, as if I'm part of a horse team and I got to go there and have to pull that cannon up that hill. And staying in the traces is, I think, really one of the most lasting ways that the military has changed me. Um, I know to stay on, I know how to stay on task. Um, and people are surprised sometimes when they hear that I've had military service, because I guess they have another kind of guy in mind. Um, let's be clear. I wasn't happy about being under military discipline when I was there. I got reduced in rank once because I went AWOL to go off to do a play instead of be in the field. Um, but those kinds of experiences taught me something about uh, consequences too. And I think that's probably a lasting benefit that I can carry into the rest of my life. I have already. Anyway. Well, just as they say to us every time, sometimes when I'm shopping and sometimes when we're at various events, uh, brother, I want to thank you for your service. Brother, I want to thank you for your service because I think we changed our lives and we did it in a way that helped make the world better and, and, and really made our families better too.